Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is an award-winning business coach, mentor, investor, public speaker, all the way from Oxfordshire. His name is Paul Avins. Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, man. It's a pleasure to have you as always. I love having business people on my show um, just because it offers kind of a different element from what I normally do. Um, as I was saying to you off camera, but for those listening who might not know, um, the podcast is kind of going through a transitional period. And I suppose if I, you know, because the reason why this is important and you'll appreciate this from a business standpoint is I get a, a lot of questions asking me like, well, what is the podcast? Why should I listen? Who, you know, who's it for? Like, what's it about? And that's a hard question to answer because when I first started, it was like, it's an interview podcast. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's discussions. Sometimes it's just a really good conversation. Sometimes it's an inspiring piece. Sometimes there'll be episodes like this where we talk just straight business and maybe we trade expertise. But even then, you know, sometimes it can go in in any which way. So I think what I'm trying to achieve with this is like life stories, life lessons, expertise, a bit of everything. Let's see where it goes. You know, maybe that's the USP. I don't know. Well, I think, okay. So I, I think, I think it's interesting, right? Cause I think when you do startups and I've done, I have ever done half a dozen startups um, and I've done three startups in the last three years. Um, there's a, there's a part of you that has an intention when you start out, which is what you think it's going to be. Right. And then there's a part of you that goes, look, for the first two years, I'm really trying to figure out what the heck this thing is. Right. What is it even? What is this business? Right. Like, can I make money doing it? You know, Richard Branson talks about, you know, the first two years of any business is about one word, which is survival. Can you actually survive? Can you make a living doing what you're trying to do? But actually, until you get a few customers and actually start working with people and start figuring out what their real issues are, what they want, what they don't, what works, what doesn't, you know, you can have a whole bunch of assumptions, right? But like, it's like the old quote from Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan to beat me until you smack me in the face. It's the same thing with a business or anything, right? It's like, until you actually put your you know, strategy into action, actually go in the marketplace and, and, and test it it's just assumptions right so like you have to be prepared to it's a it's a commonly used phrase now but it's overused it's a pivot but what i mean is just mm -hmm. you have to be able to adapt to go actually this is where the flow is this is where the energy is this is where the money is this is where customers are you have to be prepared to not be too attached to what something is at the very beginning because you don't really know right you have an idea and you have a hope and you have an aspiration and a belief but until you go out there and take feedback from customers and figure out what they really want versus what you think they want, you don't know. So I don't think there's, for me, listen, I've, I've spent years working with startups, uh, first 11 years of my career. And I can tell you right now is that the ones that succeed are the ones that are prepared to change and evolve and, you know, keep reinventing who they are and what they're about and the problems that they solve. So I think it's cool that you're evolving. I think it's a good thing. So how often, I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> with the more stubborn sort of business leaders that you're dealing with that are, you know, that's just starting up their business. Cause like some people you just can't get through to and you just have to accept it and be like, well, you know, you'll find out for yourself, but for the people that, you know, they're stubborn, but maybe you can reach them. What steps do you use to kind of reach them and make them realize like, Hey, you need to just tweak this, push it a little bit more this way. Cause it's going to add a lot more to the business or it's going to potentially pursuing the direction that you need to go in okay so good question for me um i don't so here's the thing about working with a business coach right you have to want to be coached you have to want to be coached 
it does, it's like in my entire career, I think I've only ever sold coaching to one person and it was the biggest nightmare of my life because every month he'd turn up to a coaching session and go, go on then, justify your fee. Why, why am I working <laughs> with you again? Oh, and after, after about six months of this, I was like, I'm not, this is not a pleasant experience for me, right? I remember I missed a flight to Ireland for a conference because this guy was like, no, I'm not leaving the room until, you, until you've done another thing that earns me my money. And I was like, this is not, like, this is not how coaching works, right? Like you know, for a coaching relationship to work, the other person has to want to be coached, right? It's no good if, can you imagine it in a sports context? Can you imagine being an athlete and the coach is going, listen, you need to run like this if you want to get faster and the, and the athlete going, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, it's it, like, well, hang on a minute. Then you don't want the outcome, right? Because <laughs> so, I'm giving you the strategy and you're going, no, I shan't do it that way. Okay. So with that particular person, because I, I remember yeah. having a business coach on before and they said something fairly similar about this, how people can be difficult. But did you, <laughs> did you give them like, okay, here's a thing you need to try and here's like a, a say, quantifiable way of, studying it come back to me did you sort of present something like that and then they were just like no uh, <laughs> um i think the challenge was that i sold him on a bigger vision for his business than he had and oh, i think that's okay. yeah so like i had a much bigger vision vision for his business and therefore drive and and determination and sort of aspiration for his business than he had so when i would say listen we need to do this this and this this is where we got to go next this is the this is the plan he would be like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, I was like well, uh, yeah, but I thought you said you wanted to grow the business and get this result. And it's like, yeah, but that seems like a lot of work. And I'm like, okay. All right. It's like, so there has to be an element of matched. Um, so this is where I came up with the principle I call the principle of matched effort, right? And I tell every one of the clients that I ever work with, Listen, I will work as hard to coach you and work with you as you are prepared to work yourself. I will match your effort, right? If you go full out, I'll go full out. If you go 50%, I'll go 50%. I'm going to match your effort. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm never going to do it for you. This is your business. I'm not building your business. I own three of my own. I'm busy building those. But if you want me to coach you, I'm going to coach you to be better. I'm going to improve you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you questions you don't want to answer. And I'm going to, and I'm going to force you to look at things you don't want to look at sometimes. And if that's not for you, then don't do this. Don't get coaching. Don't, because it's going to be uncomfortable at times because that's how you grow. You're not, if you're in a relationship where it's all great and everyone hugs each other and it's all high fives and no one has the difficult conversation like, why the hell did you just do that? You just, you know, you just wasted a bunch of money. What were you thinking? If no one's going to call you on your BS, then it's not a good relationship, right? You have to be able to be the unreasonable friend. It's like, look, I am absolutely the best friend you'll ever have if you're in a crisis. I'm also the worst, worst friend in the world if you're not doing what you said you're going to do and you're lying to me and lying to yourself because I'm going to call you on that BS and I'm not going to let you get away with it. Because that's because ultimately you're paying me to hold you accountable to yep. do what you said you were going to do, right? The, the best thing about being in business for yourself is that you don't have a boss. It is. It's great. It's brilliant. Nobody tells you what to do. Nobody, you know, you don't have to be up work at nine o'clock on a Monday morning if you don't want to be all that fantastic, right? The worst thing about being in <laughs> being your own boss is that you don't have a boss. Nobody knows if you skived off. Nobody did if you were supposed to do what you said you were going to do today, right? Nobody said if you actually, you know, you, you got that post out or you wrote that proposal. Nobody knows. The only person who knows is you and your conscience when you go to sleep at night, whether you kept the promise you made to yourself. And most people, and this is horrifically true, most people are, you know, 
go on about wanting to keep promises to customers and they can't even keep a promise to themselves. And yeah. it's like, look, you got to learn to keep your own promises first, right? Stop trying to you know, worry about keeping promises to the bank and the, you know, the customers. You got to learn to keep promises to yourself. You say you're going to get them, do it, get them, do it. Like it, that's the only measure is whether you can show up even if you don't feel like doing it. You know what? I think a big element to this as well, because I, I can relate to this. I, I'm a freelancer, subcontractor. I do a lot of different types of work. And to be honest with you, um, when I compare it to like, doing the nine to five jobs and stuff that I used to do back in the day. Um, I actually work, yeah, more hours generally and harder um, than I did before. And that's not to say I didn't work hard or whatever, but like <laughs> you just, you just find yourself kind of, you find yourself more motivated because you're working, as you say, for yourself or like, you know, uh, you got more freedom. Right. But then you can pick and choose how you, sort of construct that within a standard working week but i think also an important element to this which i think is very important is when it's your bread and butter when it's like that's the stuff that is your living how, how you sort of survive there's a lot more motivation there to work harder than yeah. if it's like a pet project or like a, oh yeah. maybe i'll do this i don't know like i think that's a big element to it yeah because like failures if if you don't show up and do what you said you're going to do if you don't turn up and you know if you know you do this as a freelancer either way it doesn't matter right it's like if you don't show up and generate the revenue or generate the profit and get you you don't get paid <laughs> it's like it's like this is the bit that most people who transition out of corporates or um uh like an employed role struggle with right because when you're in an this is my analogy but when you're in an, an employed role you get given the the monthly fix right we just call it money or salary but it's a hit you get a monthly hit you get mm -hmm. that hit whether you did a good job most months or not you know and so you get to the annual appraisal you don't know if you did a good job or not and like and they give you just enough money to keep you on the hook for another month so that you're addicted to the cash they get you addicted to cash right that's, that's an the interesting model. way of thinking about right? that but that's the model isn't it then yeah. when you come out and go on your own guess what you have to do for the first 90 days or six months or 12 months you have to go cold turkey and everybody doesn't understand that it's just like coming off any other drug that you would come off right you you you're going to go through withdrawal symptoms you're going to suddenly go hang on a minute it's the end of the month where's my money well actually you haven't made mm. any yet because you've just started the business up what do you mean i haven't made any yet i've got overheads i've got that and, and people people find that <laughs> freaky <laughs> but it's but it's like well did you plan did you put any money aside did you well no i just i started this business because i i'm passionate about it okay great but like people don't realize it takes 90 days of being out of the system before you even start to realize you were in a system, let alone anything else. And this is what causes people to really struggle. They can't survive long enough to generate cash and generate cash flow to keep themselves going, let alone figure out whether the business has got any real potential, right? Because they're geared too highly individually and, and they haven't figured that out in the model. They didn't put enough behind them to be able to fund while it got off the ground. And therefore, I can give you numerous examples where people ran out of cash personally, and that was what drove them back into corporate life, rather than the business was not being successful or was not making traction. They ran out of money personally because they were too highly geared. As it, so they just kind of 
put all the money in the wrong areas and then well, they just were stuck. No, they were just they just had a massive lifestyle expenditure, right? So like you know, their running costs were, you know, let's use numbers for a second, but say 10 grand a month, right? Okay. So, you know, then when you come out of corporate, if you haven't got 60 grand in savings and you can't generate money for six months while you figure your business out, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. very quickly burn through your savings and run out of money and suddenly it's like you know, well, how are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to pay the cars? How are we going to pay the school fees? Whatever the number is, right? And quite often that fear of running out of money is what drives people back into employment rather than staying with something that's, that, that, that they could potentially make great if they could stick it out long enough. One thing I always find really interesting about, let's say shows like uh, Dragon's Den, for example, yeah. is when they bring them on the show and it's just one individual as opposed to an entity, uh, something that's set up, you know, a, bit, a, tan- a business with assets versus yeah. just investing in that person. And with the people that they don't tend to invest in, more often than not, the concern is, well, okay, we're going to give you all this money, but, you know, we invest it, in it into you and the person when they tend to reject them it's because you know a lot of the expenditure and investment has been sort of coming out of that person's pocket which Mm -hmm. that's a big problem i think generally speaking for most businesses trying to get off the ground you know you need to be like looking for investors and um no i I disagree see oh okay interesting so first of all, I have a, Dragons Den and me have a whole interesting relationship in that I totally, it's so unrealistic, it's ridiculous. And secondly, <laughs> oh, like, okay. uh, like 58% of the deals that are done in the room or something never get converted outside the room with due diligence. So there's a whole, you know, anyway, um, I'm much more of a fan of um, Shark Tank in the US. If I'm entirely honest with you, I much okay. prefer Shark Tank because it's way more um, about possibility and potential than it is about whether somebody can remember a bunch of numbers at cross-examination. And if you ask most of my clients to stand in a room and remember all of their financial numbers for the last three true. years off yeah, the top yeah, of their yeah. head and their P&Ls and their margins and their this and their that, I, I will tell you that 90% of them would go, I don't carry that stuff around in my head. I have a finance person or I have it on a, or on a computer or on an app and I can pull it up. It's like, why the <laughs> hell do I have to carry that in my head? That's ridiculous. I always wonder why, why they don't just go, oh, hold, hold on a second. Let me just get my phone out. <laughs> just so they, don't, they don't because it's not good TV. Yeah, not because I know. Like, I it's designed to make most people feel really uncomfortable, which is what it does, which creates really good drama and, and then allows the dragons to look superior right so that's a whole other different thing anyway yeah but um where was i going with this um (laughs) so like for me it's it's the most like most people when they start up right then this is a a good example the online world is is really the where this stuff proliferates right so people will say start an online business you know set up a website start selling your services online and i'm like hang on a minute wait go find 10 people who've got the problem that you want to solve sit down with them face to face and offer them your solution in the real world, not the digital world, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you can't make sales face to face in the real world, you're sure as hell not going to be able to make sales in the digital world, right? Without all the cues, without all the body language, without everything that you're going to need that you get access to in the real world. And if you can't sit in front of somebody and convince them that you've got a solution that genuinely solves their problem, you haven't figured out a business yet or whether you've even got a product yet. And this is one of, one of the things in um, one of my companies we do. We, we have a product. We, we talk to people about this whole idea of test your offer, right? Too many people think that well, the offer that they've got in their head is the one that's going to work. And most people go, look, I'm going to build a whole business around this offer. And you go, well, have you tested it yet? 
What do you mean? Well, have you sent any traffic to the landing page with the offer on it? Have you done a survey of any of your people that you know? Have you what testing have you done to validate this is something that anybody actually wants? Like really genuinely wants, right? And most people go, well, I just I just know I'm right. I'm, I'm going to trust my gut. And I'm like, well, okay, well, crack on <laughs> with that one then, you know, like that's, that's a surefire way to end up in financial trouble very quickly, right? Like you have to test, you have to test it in front of a paying audience, somebody who's got the problem and genuinely has the money to go, yeah, I'd pay for that. Great. Now, now I know that somebody will give me money for the solution I'm saying I've got. Not, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. You should do it. That's not feedback. Feedback is, that's really good. I would give you money for that. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. When you've got 10 of those, when you've sat in front of 10 people who go, I would give you money for what you're selling to me, I would give you cash for that. Now you've got a business that you can go, right, now I can do something with this. Now you can, you know, now you can launch your website. But I'll tell you this, I built a business um, about a couple of years ago, uh, which, and we got uh, 200,000 pounds worth of contracts signed before we ever had a website. Okay. We never had a website, right? We, we got 200,000 pounds worth of contract signed by going and talking to people in my, ne in my network and going, you've got this problem, right? Yes. If I can solve it for you, would you pay us? Yes, I would. Great. Well, then here's a six-month contract for us to prove that we can solve that for you. And if we can't, I'll give you your money back. And we signed six, like how many contracts it was? It was like half a dozen, I think. It was about 200 grand's worth of revenue. And, we and then we went, right, now Now we'll build a website. Now we'll build a sales funnel. Now we'll do all the other stuff because we've got guaranteed contract and revenue, right? But it was like, so many times people get hung up with this idea. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I can't launch without this. I can't launch. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you absolutely can, right? Don't let those excuses get in the way of you actually making a start. This brings up an interesting point, actually, um, at the risk of sounding stupid, so bear with me. But um, I think given how much the world is changing as far as like technology is concerned, as you pointed out there, there's a lot of consideration points, let's say, when someone is looking at your business for the first time and going, OK, well, do you have this sort of that? Do you have this sort of that? Do you have this sort of that? But like when it comes to just like, let's say, networking events, uh, pitching idea, like classic, you know, pitching, here's my business. What do you think? Or even just having a coffee and stuff like that and talking about it. Like, um, I guess, I guess my question to you is, is, is more kind of like how much of that still represents the reality of modern business versus, you know, all of the stuff we see online about what people are talking about, how business is like, what's the reality, I guess. Um, so the reality is that uh, business is about people. It's about, de it's about talking, communicating with people, right? So um, most people are terribly terrible at crafting a message that explains who they serve, the problem they solve, and the solution they get clients or they get customers, right? But they're really bad at it. And you could go on to 50 different websites and nine times out of 10, you'll look at it and go, I have no idea what you do. I don't understand if it's for me. I don't understand if it's relevant. So my point of view is like, that's just communication, right? That's copy. That's, that's being able to communicate a value proposition to people who go, oh, that's for me, is it? Right, brilliant, excellent, right? Now, if you like, for example, if you turn around and say, we help, insert who your ideal customer is yep right yep. we help who struggle with insert problem said customer struggles with and and um, and stop them and help them avoid x this by using our so-and-so solution so that they get this result 
Like literally, if you follow that five-step framework, I promise you, if you go networking, stand up, everyone stands up and, and, and they're most people, it's terrible. I ran a networking organization for 11 years, right? We had hundreds and hundreds of members. And the first thing we would do is we would drill everybody when they came in, right? Stand up in 60 seconds and pitch me your business. And it would be terrible at the beginning of it. It would be awful, right? Because they'd stand up and go, well, I'm sort of, you know, I'm an accountant and I do books for, and I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Who? Do you look after, well, businesses? No, that's generic who in like small businesses, also generic. What size businesses, what industry, what sector? Like nobody, nobody ever sits in a networking meeting, by the way, and, and you'll hear this a lot, okay? People stand up and go, people stand up and go, yes, I, I, I look after SME business owners, right? I guarantee you, if you went around the room and asked everybody, are you an SME business owner? They'd go, no, I don't, I don't even know what that is, right? No, nobody really? self-identifies. Now, nobody self, nobody wakes up in the morning and go, goes, I am an SME business owner. Nobody wakes up and thinks that. Nobody does that, right? We wake up in the morning going, oh, I'm an accountant or I'm a bookkeeper or I'm a butcher or I own an IT company. Nobody wakes up and goes, okay, I'm yeah. an SME. Nobody. It's like, stop using that in your marketing or any of your communications because nobody resonates with it. Like, at what point are you now not an SME? Right? At what point are you not a small or medium-sized enterprise? Where's the break? How do you know? Do you know? There is a break. But like, how many people even know whether I'm, am I a large business? If I employ 100 people, if I employ 50 people, uh, what, like, that's just a complete, it's such a terrible phrase that gets banded around all the time. We look after SMEs. Well, good luck with that, right? Because none of them are showing up to networking meetings with badges that say SME on them. They're not. <laughs> so like, <laughs> they're just not. Oh, it's a good point. I mean, I suppose it speaks to the point as well that like, you know, when you, when you represent a company, um, you, you'll talk about, you know, like for instance, some, some of the companies that I work with, um, when people ask me about them, I'll, I'll talk about what the company does, like, you know, major contracts, who they represent, stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, well, this is our business structure and, you know, this is our turnover. Like people don't care. I mean, sometimes, yeah, if, if, if you're in a, if you're an investment meeting or something, I get that. But like a lot of the time, those financials are just, to me, it's, it's no different than when someone's looking at like my CV and they ask me about like my degree. It's like, why do you care about my degree for? Like, what? <laughs> do, you know what? do you know why they ask that question? Is because they don't have any other questions. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> no, but, I mean, get this, right? So like one of the things I, one of the things that will stop every business growing is talent, not having the right talent or not being able to attract the talent, which is a massive issue right now, right? Like globally, there is a talent shortage. It's not going away. We're going to have to figure this out, right? Now, the reality is that, you know, most, if you ask most business owners, um, have you ever done a course on interviewing? <laughs> they will go, they'll look at you like, what do you mean? And I'll be like, have you ever had any training on how to do an interview properly? And they'll go, well, no, I just sort of, you know, it's just a CV. And you just ask them some questions. I'm like, no, it isn't actually. There is a skill set to being able to interview people to get the best out of them and to being able to understand how to conduct an interview to get somebody to share information that's going to make, help you make a, a good evaluation decision. And yet people are hiring people without that skill set and somehow expecting that they're miraculously going to pick the right people for the role. Uh, how, 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 and we're not talking about small investment decisions, right? We're talking about businesses that uh, could be spending 30, 40, $50,000, right? All pounds on a hire. That's a big decision, right? You get it wrong. 
the data says that for every person you hire who leaves within six months, it costs the business the equivalent of um, three to four times their salary. So you're talking about somebody making an investment decision that in real terms could be as much as $200,000, right? All pounds. And yet they make those decisions on gut feel or like, or I met, I met two people, this one seemed all right. So I went with them and you're like, you, you wouldn't like, that's an insane investment mindset to have when you're hiring people, but people do this all the time. They just, they just kind of hire on hope and don't, don't put any uh, plan strategy into, into any kind of skill. They don't go, uh, do you know what? I need to learn how to interview. I should read a couple of books on how to interview at least. or listen to a podcast on how to do interviews because I don't understand how to do that. I was, no, no one's born with the interviewing skill. We have to learn it. It's like, well, okay, great. So if I want to build a team, I'm going to need to learn how to interview people so I get good talent, right? I remember I was exposed to recruitment quite early on, actually, in my career. I, was, I think I was about 25, 26, something like that. Um, I was only a year and a half into this marketing position I had. Uh, you know, I've been promoted. I was directly under a manager. And they were doing, we were basically just filling out our team as a small team. And my manager was like, do you want to sit in the interviews with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because my mindset has always been take every opportunity, learn, grow, even if it's not immediately relevant to you, just go for it. Um, so Good we mindset. did. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you're just always going to open up opportunities, make yourself more employable, more experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And um, I thought I could be of use. Like I knew my, my manager would like lead it, but you know, maybe I could contribute. Funnily enough, she actually involved me way more than I was expecting. Like I had some stuff written down, but I was just sitting and listening. And then she's like, Christian, you got any thoughts? And I was just like, yeah. And I just threw some questions and then suddenly I was the one interviewing and I was like, all right. Um, but it went well. And I think the reason it went well, and I'll, I'll get to the breakdown of this in a second, but part of interviewing and, and recruitment, a big part of it is understanding that it is about people and their attitudes, you know, and yeah, the credentials are important, but it depends specifically on what the job is. And as you mentioned before, you have to really clarify what your goals are with employing someone like why are we taking this particular person on like if the person you're taking on is let's say a project manager for a really expensive contract that you're working on yeah you're going to need to take some time that's not a decision you can make lightly and like you're like oh yeah yeah, yeah i've got a good vibe about her or him right no that's obviously not but if it's someone that you know, you can take a risk on, let's say, like an entry level position or something like that, or something mid tier. And it's, as you, as you said, like, you don't, you're not putting too much stock in it. Because um, I think you have to kind of measure it against how much investment you're really putting in that person time and money versus what you can get from it, what the loss would be if it doesn't work out, how quickly you can recover from that. There's a few variables you have to kind of work out looking for that person. But sure. as you, obviously you figure all that stuff out before you go into that interview. And then when you go in the interview, then I, I really do think it becomes more about gauging um, who that person is and if they fit the kind of mindset that your team has. Because I can tell you now from my experience of going in, being interviewed, I'm sure you can relate to any, anyone listening has been in an interview. You know how. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. all been in an interview. <laughs> right, yes, that's right. true, yeah. And I, I think the key difference between a good interview and a bad interview as far as the interviewer perspective, or the interviewee's perspective, I should say, 
is it comes down yet yeah, to the, those questions and you know if they're stupid or not because if they're stupid questions they'll tend to just be pointless stuff that doesn't really matter like oh you know what's your five-year plan and oh yeah you know what is your degree path like previous experience blah 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 like okay they've got your cv they know what your previous experience is five years look people in most positions these days it's between six months to two years depends on what you're doing you know maybe it's longer if it's a long-term project but you already kind of you already know these things right so okay what questions should you ask you should ask questions that give the person a chance to kind of show who they are for real not like those manufactured responses saying everything you need to hear like this is the thing like whenever i've gone into interviews i just go in as myself which sometimes you know i've had some surprising responses the managers will be like a bit like huh okay because it will either come across as confidence like oh this person's confident or they'll be surprised that i'm not saying all they're like well i'm hard working and i'm this and i'm it's like everyone <laughs> says that like that yeah, but hang on a second if you if you have to tell me you're hard working i'm going to worry okay because if you <laughs> feel that that's a key differentiator for you in a role it's like if you went if you if you're meeting a brand new accountant and they say we just want to tell you we can add up really well and you're like <laughs> that's kind of like that's kind of your job i'm kind of expecting that's a given i shouldn't have to ask you that that shouldn't be a competitive advantage right that should be a minimum requirement standard it's like if you have if you think telling me you're going to work hard is like going to sell me on anything it's not it's going to do the opposite it's going to make me worry about why do you think i needed to know that what are you worried all you know and uh, look i think with all of this, I think we have to have it against the backdrop of the labor market that you're operating yep. against, right? Right right now is absolutely a competitive market. You probably don't get um, the flexibility to have lots of interviews in the way that you did. This is why I'm a big fan of um, teaching clients to create assessment centers where you see 10 people in one afternoon and then make a hire by the end of the day because you just it's quicker, it's faster, it's more efficient. Yep. And everybody always looks good on their own, right? I remember being taught this years ago as well. Everyone looks good on their own. So if you only see one person, they always look great. See two, it's not really enough of a sample size to get an assessment. But if you run an assessment center for six people, you're going to know by the end of that evening who the right one that you spoke to. Yeah, and the team, and by the way, you get the team involved. The team's going to have input too. And you're going to go, yeah, who's the best cultural fit? What you're actually looking for is a really good culture fit, right? You're looking for culture fit first. You're looking for attitude second. You're looking for culture fit, attitude, and skills. Those are the three things, right? And the skills is the least one, the one I'm least worried about because I can, I can train you that. I can give you the training. I can develop that. If you're not a culture fit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down, right? People, people hire for skill and fire for culture fit right? They, they, because somebody doesn't fit the culture. That's what tends to happen because you just, oh, you're just not like one of us. Well, that's to be fair. That's something you should have figured out earlier in the, in the interview process. Like what are their values? What do they care about? How important is family? What does, you know, and this is where, again, um, the tools are all out there for people to make better decisions. It's just most people don't spend the time to avail themselves of them, right? Like, like how people make high level um, recruitment decisions without using profiling blows my mind. It's like for $50, you could get a psychometric insight into the person sitting opposite you and have a really good conversation about them and go, I'm looking at your profile and it says this, and, and it says you might be struggling. You might find these things difficult in the role. This role has a large amount of that. Did you realize that when you applied? Do you think you can cope with that long-term or is that going to stress you? You know, is that going to be a real friction point for you? You know, 
and you can have a genu- genuine, honest conversation because what mm-hmm. you want, what I want anyway, anytime I hire somebody in any of my companies, right? One thing, the thing I'm looking for is I'm looking for somebody who's got that ambition and I'm looking for somebody who ha- who's happy to say that they have outside interests and things that show me about their personality, right? Like, what are you into? What, what's your, you know, but also somebody who goes, look, I, I'm here to learn, right? I'm here to grow. I'm here to get better. I'm here to improve. I, I that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not stupid, right? You're not going to spend the rest of your life with me. I get that. But while you're here, I want to know that you're hundred percent present and that you're going to add value to the team and the customers and everyone else. And the contract we're signing in that discussion is, well, I'm going to invest in you and I'm going to help you become the best version of you, you while you're with us for however long that is. Right? And there's a phrase I use, which is people are with you for, for a reason, a season or for life. I'm very lucky. I've got two amazing ladies, Becky and um, Leslie. They, well, Becky's been with me uh, 20 years incredibly now uh no is it yes 18 anyway 18 20 years something insane like that right 18 years now leslie's been with me 11 but we've had lots of other people who've been with us six months two years right so people will come in and out of your life and your business and if you get hung up on i'm trying to hire somebody for the long term you're going to be massively disappointed because you never really know who's going to stick around long term until you've worked with them for six months or, or a year and their life may change and it's got nothing to do with you either by the way yeah, no, I, I totally agree with all that. And I, th- I think this personability aspect to it is very important. Like I, th- I think about the main role, because I do a series of different roles. I have freelance work where I do, I work with a lot of different clients. So that's a bit different. And then the main role that I have is, you know, I'm basically like, it's tricky. Like I'm a subcontractor when I'm working for a company. So it's a bit of an iffy situation, but I treat it as like, I'm working with this company. We're working together. And the interesting thing is I remember in the interview, um, I wasn't sure funnily enough. Like I I went for it because I was like, you know what? At At the time I was, I was unemployed. I didn't have anything going on and I was just looking for like any work. And I thought it would be an interesting challenge. And when we started talking, I quickly, re- I, I loved the people I was talking to. I thought they were brilliant, but I was just like, I don't think I have what they offer. I, c- I don't think I can offer them what they're looking for. That's what was going through my head. And I communicated that to them and they were really cool about it. And then it became like, they were trying to convince me. <laughs> and then I was like, do you know what? It seems like we're meeting back in the middle. Let's, let's go for it. Let's do this. And you know, it took a couple of weeks and then we did something and hey ho, six months later, we're doing brilliant work together. Um, but then the point is that communication and, and honesty and personability is, I think, the thing that is really important in the recruitment process and also just in business in general. You have to like the people that you're working with and have some degree of chemistry. And I just want to throw some other things on recruitment just because I, I realized, you know what, I realized that my role started as my main role started as kind of like sales and then it's gone into recruitment and it's, it's, it's one of those roles where it kind of dives into a lot of different areas of the business. And I just kind of roll with it. I'm like, do you know what? Great. I'm enjoying it. I'll do anything. Let's, let's just see what, see how I can use my skills to help you kind of thing. Right. Um, so, it's, and it's taught me a lot about recruitment and I've had experiences in the past, but now I'm really involved with it, like from a communicative perspective. Right. But the interesting thing is I'm at the point in my career now, sort of five, six years into like marketing and sales and advertising and everything. And 
so naturally you start people getting people headhunting you and, and talking to you and yes yeah, natural part of business but as we were talking about sometimes pe people don't just do like the basic bit of homework uh, i get someone message me or call me and then they'll just be like would you be interested in x and y position and i'm i'm just like i don't i'll never be as rude as to, to phrase it this way but the first thing that goes through my head is have you have you looked at my profile like you can see that I've never done that or you can see that that's not gonna be a good fit for me like so, some things are just blaringly obvious and you just know that they haven't done that research or like sometimes perfect example I had a conversation a couple of months back someone called me and I was a bit iffy about it, but I was like, yeah, I'll give this person a chance. They seem to be really eager. Let's, let's see what they have to say. We get 15 minutes into the conversation and I already realized that this isn't going to work. Like there's a lot of things I don't have that they need. Um, and often, particularly in this job market, a lot of companies want like the perfect person, which doesn't exist by the way, but that's another conversation. Um, nope. <laughs> but you have to kind of, you have to kind of think like, okay, if they've got like, say, What's the, what's the line that you're willing to draw at? Is it, let's say if they've got 70% or 60% of what you need, maybe that's the line. Maybe it needs to be higher. It depends what the job is, you know, and that's fair enough. And I never take it personally, as you shouldn't. Like, it's just business. But um, sometimes it'll be like, okay, let's say I've got 60% of what they want. And in this particular conversation, I said, oh, well, I, I don't have this thing. So I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe we should just call it here. Thanks for your time. And then they just kept going on. They kept talking for another 20 minutes and you know me being awkward and you know british i just kept listen mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. being polite and, yeah yeah and yeah. then and then when they stopped talking i'm like <laughs> so i don't have what you're looking for <laughs> and then i did it it came it became a, a bit of a battle of just trying to carefully and calmly explain i don't have what you're looking for this is, and I had to explain to this person what they were looking for. <laughs> like, which I, I, I don't even know how to react to that. It's like, I'm not even doing your job and I'm better at you, better at your job than you are. Like, but I guess my point is with recruitment, I think it comes more down to just understanding people and what it is your team is looking for. And as you said, you, you said culture fit and that can be a bit of a tricky word sometimes because I think it can bring about some negative connotations a lot of time. But I think the more important thing about uh, culture fit, which is a very important point to drive home, is when companies get it right, it's all about mindset. Like, mm. what attitude do you have? Like, when there's a problem, are yep. you the sort of person that, you know, panics and, you know, complains or whatever? Or are you trying to find a solution? You know, like... Uh, I can't count how many times I'll, I'll be talking to some of my colleagues and a problem will come up and they'll say, oh, we've got this problem. Uh, and then they'll say, have you tried X, Y, and Z? And I'll be like, oh, way ahead of you. I've already tried this, 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 and this. Um, it hasn't worked. But I'm not like, oh, no, it's despair. I'm, uh, the first thing I'll say is, let's just keep seeing that like, maybe we have to try a different method, a different. And I think that right there, is kind of the key thing you need to look for, be it in job interviews, when you're looking at people's profiles, whatever. You need to be looking at the build of that person and whether, so if you're looking at, you know, just the profile or, or the CV or something like that, you're looking at 
an idea of the person so you can kind of read between the lines a little bit but until you get that initial contact where you can sit down and really talk to them you won't really know what their motivations are and i think those are the sort of questions you need to ask it's like well what are you trying to achieve what, what do you want from this role and that's when you can kind of figure out what it is they want and if it's going to be a fit yeah i mean so i'll give you a couple of things that might just sort of help people with this process because i'm a big believer in sharing tools that that help people right so um one is a tool that i just teach it's really simple take a piece of paper draw a line down the middle of the page on the left hand side write must have and on the right hand side write nice to have and then when you're making a list of things for the, the, this candidate or this person joining the team must have that's the that's the first list right so they must for example they must have this coding skill they must have worked for four years they must have a car right whatever it is stuff that if they didn't have is deal breaker Okay. And the reason that you do that is going to save you a whole bunch of time. Right. And secondly, you have nice to have, which is no, nice if they had industry experience, but it's not a deal breaker. Be nice if they knew this, this particular, you know, if they, if they had experience of working in you know, this coding language or whatever, right. Whatever it is, but they're nice to have that stuff. Now, when you get CVs in, it's really easy to delegate it to someone on your team and go, right, go through the CVs, only keep CVs for interview who have all the must to haves. Straight away, right? Straight away, before you go anywhere, don't, because if they don't hit the must-haves, don't waste their time and yours. And then you're having conversations with people who tick a, a certain level of criteria of things that you need, you need this person to have to be able to do the job, right? Then it's the conversation around the nice-to-have stuff. What, you know, what have they got? What haven't they got? What things do, are they committed to, to learn? What do they not want to learn? And where are they in that, you know, um, experience? And I always... I always, um, there's a, there's a technique called competency-based interviewing where you get people to go back and talk about past things they've done, not theoretical. So not like if you had a challenge, how would you respond? Cause everyone will give you the answer that they've been and they've read the interview book for dummies and all of that stuff. And they'll give you those answers. Right. But if you say to somebody, listen, talk to me about a time in your, in your previous job where you had a really nightmare situation, everything went wrong. Um, how did you approach it and how did you solve it? And what was your strategy? Because if you ask someone that, two things are going to happen. One, it's incredibly difficult to lie about that because people can't lie about the past because they're going to have to make it up creatively and you're going to see that on their face. Number two, you're going to get a better insight into how they really dealt with something when it happened because they're going to go, well, I, I sort of did this and I, I kind of did that. And, 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 okay, great. Then you, when you take people back to, all right, so tell me a time when you worked in a small team and, and how did you how did you find working in a small team? What, and what were the things that you found good and what are the things that you found frustrating? Not if you worked in a small team, what do you think you'd find good and frustrating, which is a future-based question where I'm going to give you a theory, not based on a reality. So just understanding that whole kind of idea of answering, asking questions from a standpoint of tell me about the past and experience and when you've had this situation before. And Elon Musk talks about like his single best, biggest question is always like, tell me about a problem that you solved in the past that other people couldn't seem to solve and how you solved it. Cause he's saying, you know, his whole point of view is look, I'm wanting to hire people who are going to come in and solve problems for me in the, in a business that, you know, we're all our value proposition in a role is to solve problems for that company and those customers. That's our value proposition because we're looking for people who can improve the product, solve an issue, deal with a customer complaint, solve a problem. Someone has buying something, right? We're all there to, to remove a friction point in, in a, in a relationship. So it's like, if you are asking people about their approach to problem solving, you have no idea how they're going to be able to really cope in whatever role you're putting them into. Right. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, I'm going to roll on a few more different types of That was of a questions. long old chat about recruitment, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to talk to you about recruitment, but I think it's always interesting uh, with these conversations which kind of direction it can go. This is why I like to keep it a bit more laid back and a bit more like a free-flowing conversation as opposed to just a straight-up interview because I feel like that kind of kills the vibe a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Like when you... you know, do you know why I'm so passionate about team though? Like, because, mm-hmm. because here's the thing, right? Like, it's so rare to work in a really good team because most organizations do it terribly badly, right? They really do do it badly. And business has this assumption that if we just throw a bunch of people randomly together and take them out for pizza and bowling every six months, they'll somehow end up being a high performing team, right? That just doesn't happen. And when you where, look where at did, where, where did by the way, where does that mentality come from? Like I can't count how many offices I've worked in, but it's like we we've got a ping pong table. We we bought an Xbox and it's like great, but I don't have time to use that stuff because I'm working. <laughs> you know, or yeah. the pizza thing. Yeah, like, well that yeah, there's <laughs> the, yeah, there's there's someone in HR read a manual somewhere about that. But um <laughs> but if you look at if you actually study team, you know, this is why when sports teams you know, suddenly do amazing things, it galvanizes whole countries because we're not used to seeing high performing teams. But if you look at sports teams and you look at the military, mm-hmm. you know, like they spend, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds creating high performing teams. And business has still has a Neanderthal approach to the whole thing of we're going to pay you money. You're going to show up. We're going to do the min, you know, we're going to give you a set of rules and somehow you're going to miraculously just all become high performing individuals and without realizing that the, the best, listen, the best businesses in the world realize that the business is the talent. Yes. It is the people, right? If you take, if you take a hotel and you take all this, the, the team out of the hotel, it's just an empty building with nothing in it. And, and most, most businesses that are really successful realize that the number one asset in their business leaves at night and goes home and they need to make it an environment they want them coming back that they want to come back to the next day. And that's, that's your job as a leader is to create an environment that top talent wants to work in that, you know, Google doesn't have a problem recruiting people because people want to work there. They want to go be in there. They want the opportunity. They want to be there, right? You want to create an environment that people, A, never want to leave, and B, really want to get into. And as a leader, that's one of your main roles is to do that because building a business is a team sport. Nobody does it alone. The biggest myth that is, that is spouted out and every time it's spouted out, it really annoys me, right? It's when people go, oh, he's a self-made millionaire or he's a self-made man, you know, nobody's self-made, no one, zero. I, I, I challenge anybody to stand. Jeff Bezos is not self-made. You think he did it on his own? He started out on his own, right? He started on his own, but he's not self-made. Why? Because he, he built teams, massive teams, right? And like creating houses of jobs that does, he's not self-made. He did it with other people. So did Branson, right? So did Elon Musk. None, none of those people pull off amazing stuff without massive teams so it's like you got to learn this skill if you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur because otherwise you're going to burn out trying to do it all yourself what do you think are the most important elements of a successful team trust without question trust is number one right so i have a i have a framework i talk about team stands for trust you have to have trust and transparency, right? You got to be honest with each other about what you're good at, what you're not, what you struggle with, what you find. When you're when you're having um, you know, when you're having an emotional challenge in your personal life, you got to be able to share it with your team. And go, listen, 
look, you now we, we do this in my team on a Monday morning meeting. Every, we'll go around and go, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how is everybody today? Emotionally, physically, you know, like um, mentally, where are we at? Because, like one to 10. And because why? Because it just lets us check in with everybody. And like we've had loads of meetings where people have gone, oh, physically, I'm in a lot of pain right now. I've got bad, I've done my back in. And, and we'd be like, oh, I had no clue. I didn't know that. Well, what can we do to help? How can we, what can we do for you? Can we, you know, or somebody will come in and we had one, it was a really emotional team meeting a couple of weeks ago because, and one of the, you know, we do that whole, where are you emotionally? And one of the, one of the team members just said, I'm at a one. I'm just, I'm, I'm in a really bad state. And we were like, oh, what's going on? And somebody, you know, somebody in her family had tried to commit suicide with an overdose of aspirin at the weekend. And like, and like, you can't be a human being and not want to be compassionate for that person and support them. But to come in and when like managers go, leave your problems at the door, shut up, right? Just shut the hell up, right? You're a human being. You have, as a team, you want to care for each other when you want to celebrate when you're winning and you want to support when you're losing or someone's having a bad time, right? That's, that's where trust is built. And you've got to start with that transparency. The team's got to be able to be, know they're not going to be judged if they're struggling with something or they're having a tough time of it, right? That's number one. Two is, you know, T-E-E is about, you've got to have empathy and you've got to engage. You've got to have a level of engagement with each other in terms of, look, I have empathy for what, what you're dealing with, but I also have an, I'm engaged with what you're about. And it's about energy. It's about having an energy as a team that goes, listen, uh, my energy is really good in the morning. Yours energy is really good in the afternoon. If you want the best out of me, right, let's do stuff in the morning. If I want the best out of you, I'm going to talk to you in the afternoon. It's about understanding this concept of flow and energy. And we all have different times of the day when we're at our best and doing things that give us energy and things that take away our energy, right? Then there has to be a level of accountability, okay? Like any great team, people have to be, they have to, you know what it is? It's about holding each other to a higher standard to go, listen, I, you know, you look at great sports teams, they hold each other to a higher standard. It's like, look, you are better than that. You know that you had a bad day. You let the customer down. You didn't do this for the team. You didn't get that out and said, you're going to get it out. I'm calling you on that. You're better than that. Like let's step it up. Right. That's not, that's not a standard that we tolerate here. And there's an internal level of accountability with each other to hold each other there. And the M stands for, it's about measurement. You've got to measure stuff, right? All great teams measure everything, measure progress, measure KPIs. The challenge we have in business is that most measurement tools have been used really negatively, right? So like, so like most people, most people resist KPIs, your metrics, measurement. Why? Because most managers use it to beat people up. They go, oh, you're bad at that. You're like, and I'm like, sports teams don't do that. Sports teams measure everything and go, right. That wasn't so good. So how do we get it better? How do we improve it? How do we move that needle? How do we get you from, you know, a lap time of this to a, you know, taking 10 seconds off that? How do we get the boat to go faster as the great rowing book about the British rowing team says, you know, it's like, but you have to measure stuff with the intention that we're going to use that data to help us improve. We're not going to use that data to destroy someone's confidence or make them feel crap. And, and like the, me the measurement is what the team gets excited about because how, 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 many, how long would you play a game if nobody told you the score? You wouldn't. You wouldn't keep showing up playing the game if no one told you the score. Try it. Try taking a bunch of like 10 or 12-year-olds out to play football, but don't tell them the score and don't tell them how long's left in the game and watch how long they, they run for. After a while, they just go, what is the point? Why am, I, why am I running around on this? This makes no sense. And this is the same with teams, right? If you don't give them a score, you don't tell them how long they've got, you don't tell them what success looks like, you don't give them an, a level of ambition to go for people stop playing the game and they're just checking in and checking out, but they're not playing the game. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate it. All right.
I'm would passionate you... about this subject, as you can probably tell. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. No, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think when you are passionate about something in life, whatever it is, you know, you, you it will be, it will get better. As a, which it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but it's it's true. If you just don't have the passion, if there's no passion there, you just you're just not going to care. You know, I've been in I've been in job roles where. I had no passion and I started with passion. I had a lot of passion, but then, you know, whatever it is takes out of you. Maybe it's a particular leader. Maybe it's the company's direction. Maybe it's uh, lack of self-satisfaction. And there's only so far you can self-motivate before, you know, you just run out of motivation in a situation like that. It's different when you're working for yourself, but when you're working in a team dynamic, um, you need everyone else to be passionate too if they're not passionate it kind of rubs off on you it's, it's, it's a bit like when you're around friends and let's say everyone's in a negative bad like bad mood you know like eventually that's going to rub off on you you know like you can walk around you know you can't the, the whole thing about that is that you it's really hard to pull everyone else up but it's really easy for them to pull you down right yes so it's like you can't go around and make everybody else feel better. It's a hard thing to do. It's exhausting. Whereas if they're negative, it's really easy for them to pull you down, right? Like that, like that toxicity, you know, if you talk about team, the T, the T I go, look, if you've got toxic people in the team, they got to go. Sorry. Like, it's like, if you're toxic, you've got to go. Cause the only thing that's going to happen is they're going to destroy the good people in the team over time. And that's what toxic people do. And you know, the, the reason why I get passionate about this, right. is because, I just see so much incredible talent that's sitting in organizations being not, not used, not harnessed. And I see people going around self-medicating with alcohol, food, you name it, because they're not enjoying their job. They're not enjoying their life. They're not enjoying it. And it starts with that whole thing of going, I deserve better. I want to be in a role where somebody actually sees my value, sees my talent, sees my contribution, sees what I can do. And actually I want to go somewhere where people value me as a human being for what I can add not treat me like some 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 sort of machine because trust me the organizations that treat people like a machine they're gonna they're gonna end up being the ones that implement ai and robotics and stuff really quickly anyway so like then then you know then we're in a different world but it's like i just there's so many amazing people i meet who have given up because somebody said they couldn't do it or they just needed to go and then there was no there was no, um, nobody telling them that they were, they're, be they're better than they currently are. They can be better. They can be better. They can grow. They can improve. They can learn, right? Like that was the thing that changed my life. Somebody, I was failing at school. I was an absolute failure at school, right? Colossal failure. Was, wasn't diagnosed until I was dyslexic at 14. Right. And, and I, I was literally written off at school and the school system said, can't deal with him. He's, now you'd be labeled ADHD because everyone likes to label. But like I was uh, disruptive. I was, uh, I was problematic. You know, I was all of that stuff. And my father, bless him, you know, for, had the strength to take me out of that school environment and put me in another environment at ex excruciating pain financially to him to do it. But I remember meeting the headmaster at the time and, and um, his name was, Miss, uh, yeah, was it? Uh, oh, I'll remember it in a minute. Uh, Mr. Norman, right? That was his name. And he, and he was the first person that ever had a really big profound impact on my life. Cause he, he sat me down and he just said, right. So everybody's good at something. We just got to figure out what you're good at. Cause I don't really believe all the reports I'm being given about you. I believe that everyone's got talent and everyone's good at something. So we just got to figure out what it is. And that was the first time anybody in any authority or any kind of position of, of influence had ever said anything like that to me outside my family. You know, it was the first time someone had said, 
there's, there's stuff in here that is, you're good at. We just haven't found it yet, but we're going to, we're going to look until we do. And I was like, wow. Okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm not this, this, maybe I'm not all the labels that I've been given up to now. It's amazing to me how important hearing that is, uh, particularly at such a young age. I had a similar experience when I was 13. Um, cause originally when we were studying business at school, it was a very new subject. Like it was, it was not really something that was part of the typical syllabus. It was part of the GCSEs. I started studying at a young age, 13 or something. And, you know, I was initially interested, but you know, after a while, similar, you know, I tension span was not always there. You know, I was a kid, you know, it just, it just happens. I was, I, I definitely had the intelligence, but I didn't have the self-belief and I get distracted and et cetera. And then there are other things like I did all this work someone lost my work and then I was like really demotivated because it was like two folders worth of work like two terms worth of work and I remember this particular uh teacher sat me down I think I might have told this story before but I'm not sure if I told it on the podcast before but anyway here it is again um shout out shout out to Miss Zanelli she sat me down and she i believe she was the head of the course or she was one of the key teachers on this particular business course she had children so she was you know she knew how to talk to children and get through to them and she just sat me down and she basically just said like what are you doing <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you know i had like an attitude and um she was like what do you want what do you want to achieve like what, what, what are your goals with this and i got a little bit annoyed at this and I suppose in a sarcastic way, I just turned around and said, I want to ace the course. Because obviously I was failing the course at that point. So it's just like, I thought that was funny. And, and she basically just looked at me with a dead face, said nothing. And then after a minute had passed, she just turned around and she said, we're going to have to work very hard then. And then I don't know why, but like there was like a light bulb that just went off in my head. Like when I heard her say that, I was like, so there's a chance. And she was like, of course there's a chance. Do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. What, what do I do? And she's like, if you work hard, you work with me, you agree to do this, I'll help you get there and you'll get there. And like just that one small conversation right there, that bit of a pep talk, that belief suddenly gave me the motivation i needed to to pursue that and by the end of uh the course which was a year and a half from that point i ended up getting the highest marks possible and it really was like a journey to get there and a lot of hard work but it, we, we got there and i ended up taking the a-level equivalent of the of the um the course went to university etc you know and i i owe it all to to that initial conversation i had with that teacher and that little bit of a pep talk you know, I think teachers don't always realize like how important the things that they say to children are good and bad. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you need to sometimes just saying something like, of course you can do this. There's no reason you can't, you know, I believe in you just little things like that means so much and can shape you for years and years to come. Like that gave me a little bit of confidence. And from there, I've been able to build to the point where now I do freelance 
business. Um, I do all sorts of different types of business, both online with the things I'm pursuing, as well as, you know, for my day job, I get to talk to business people such as yourself and have conversations like this. And it all emanated from that initial point. And that's incredible. And that was great coaching she gave you too, by the way. Yeah, that's, no, great. that's what great, great coaches see, see potential in you that you might not even see in yourself, right? And sometimes all their job is to do is to, is, is to prod you and go, yeah, you can do this. I believe in you. I, I see it. And you go, really? And, it's like, and that's, what, that's what lights the spark and that's what sets the fire off. And, you know, yeah, look, you don't get anywhere in life without hard work. Anybody who thinks otherwise is lying, right? You're going to have to put in the hard work and the time and the effort and the 10,000 hours and all of that stuff, right? If you want to get really good at something, you've got to commit to, to mastering it. Um, but yeah, without great people, you know, at the times in our life where we need that little external validation, and it doesn't matter. The interesting thing is it doesn't matter what level you're at. This, this imposter syndrome element, I can, I, you know, a client of mine recently came in and sat down and went, I feel, you know, he's running a very successful business, multi, multi-million pound business. And he's came in and said, I'm not sure. I feel, I feel like I'm an imposter. I feel like I'm way out. I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm winging it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> First of all, no, you're not. Right, we've got a really clear strategy. You, you know exactly what we're doing. We've got a plan. It's all worked out. This is just the part of you that feels insecure about being at this level because you've never been at this level before. And this is what I call the, the the upper level, upper limit thinking is kicking in, where you're going, "Can I do it? Is it worth it? Am I capable?" And you're doubting yourself when actually, you know, every bit of evidence for the last five years that we've been together says that everything you faced, you've overcome. And he goes, well, yeah, that's true. I said, so if, if, if up to this point, everything you faced, you've overcome, I'm going to suggest that there isn't going to be much in the future that you can't overcome with the right attitude, learning, training, and persistence. Yeah. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, of course. Cause what you're trying to do is, is difficult. That's why not many people pull off what you're trying to achieve, but you've got the talent. You you've got the commitment, you know, and I believe in you and I've got your back and you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, sometimes that's, that's all I needed to hear was just that you thought I could do this. I was like, yeah, you can totally do it. I said, because I'm the one person who will tell you the truth. If I thought you couldn't do it, I would tell you that because that's my job. And I don't want you wasting your time and money and effort. If I don't think you've got, if I, I've listened, I've closed businesses down and I'm, that's not, you know, I'm not, but I will tell to certain entrepreneurs, this business is never going to go where you want it to go. You think it is, but I'm telling you based on 17 years of experience and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients, I'm telling you the model you've got is, is broken. It isn't going to work and you need to put it under. And that's part of being an entrepreneur. Sometimes you've got to accept that not everything's going to go the way you want it. And this one's one of those ones you've got to bury it and go, go find the next project. But sometimes people need that, you know, that disinfectant. Daylight's the best disinfectant. And sometimes my job is to tell people that. Not often, but it happens. And, you know, therefore... I think you can do it. It's because I've, I believe you can genuinely do it because I didn't, I would tell you. It's, it's a really, it's a really, really important point. Um, funnily enough, my previous guest, we, we spoke about similar things. He's a, he's a really, really positive uh, musician and he was having some, some sort of down dark thoughts, like, you know, worrying like, Oh, can I ever really make it? Am I kidding myself? And, you know, it's, it's a very normal feeling to have as, as you put it, imposter syndrome is, it's, it's you know, I have it all the time. Um, 
I look at everything that I'm pursuing and then I look at people I know that are successful and sometimes I think like oh maybe I'm just not one of those people maybe that's not in the cards for me maybe I'm not one of them that that's that's what successful people are like I'm not one of those and then I, I don't know that that thought just comes into my head where I'm just like why not why not me why can't I you know it's it's not like it's not possible it's just luck it's a combination of luck hard work and consistency <laughs> yeah, but you know what luck stands for right luck stands for laboring under correct knowledge that's what luck stands for right yeah <laughs> so you know if you if your strategy think about it this way right if your strategy is right i'm going to build a business that's going to do tours and we're going to take people out to uh, see sunrises right that's the value proposition and your entire strategy is based on heading west right? That's your, that's your navigational compass and goes, we're going to build this business because we're going to go west because no one's ever done that before. And you, <laughs> somebody needs to tap you and go, no, no, no. There's a really good reason why no one's ever done that is because it's a really daft idea because the sun rises in the east, not the wet. Like, what do you, like, some, sometimes you actually need someone to go, look, you're just drinking your own Kool-Aid for a minute. Stop. Just stop. This isn't going to work. Sanity check it, right? <laughs> But it's like, that's, look, this is the game. It's a game, right? Like, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. I, I always say like new level, new devil, right? Every time you go to a new level, whether it's earning a certain amount of money you've never owned before, being in a relationship that you've never been in before, taking your business to a new level of turnover or profit you've never done before, you are going to feel an inner level of tension, an intention, right? And I talk about this where I say to people, when you set an intention or a goal, it, if you look at the words, the way I spell it is intention, I-N-T-E-N-T-I-N, intention, right? There is a tension within you now because you've put it out into the universe that you want to achieve that goal. And yet there's a big part of your brain that knows you have no clue how you're going to do it yet. But that's the process. You're not supposed to know how to do it. You're just supposed to know how to take the next step. Nobody knows how to build a multi-million pound business when they start out on day one. No one, Right. Amazon didn't either, by the way, but he started by selling books and then he figured out and then took the next step and went, now we'll sell this and now we'll sell that. And then you just take the next step. You have the vision, but the how is you figure out on the way. But so many people get stuck because they go, yeah, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. No, they didn't know how airplanes were going to fly either till they figured it out, right? It's like the how is the bit that keeps people trapped, completely and utterly trapped. And it's because you can't solve a creative problem from a house state. How is, how is practical, functional, and it's the stuff that gets people stuck because it's not where creativity lives. That energy is very practical. Great once you get to the point, but actually for most entrepreneurs, the most important question isn't how, it's who. Right? So like nine times out of 10, you go, I want to do this. Like Elon Musk, like great example. When Elon Musk said he wanted to build SpaceX, he knew nothing about rockets, right? He didn't know how to build rockets. He's like, he said that. And he said, I don't know how to build rockets. He said, but I know how to recruit people who do. And I'm going to ask them. It's like, yes, exactly. You don't need to know everything about how to do this. You just need to know how to, how to ask the right questions and find the right people who already know how to do it. Like when you realize, oh, I don't have to know everything. No, you really don't. <laughs> you really don't. It's like liberating. It's like, oh, right. I thought I had to learn everything. No, 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 no. You just need to be really good at your job, which is have the vision, have the mission, you know, hold the, build the team, right? Figure out what the customers want, figure that bit out. And then, and then getting, get out of the way and let people do the, do the things they're really good at and ask people who know more than you. Cause trust me, most people are way smarter than you are. Yes. So they just don't, they just don't want to work for themselves. They want to work for you.
And I'm grateful every day. I have people who are way smarter than me working for me because they love it. And I'm blessed that I can go and ask them questions and they'll go, yeah, I'll, I'll figure that out for you, Paul. Don't worry. Thank you. For, I'm genuinely really blessed that I get, I get to have you on my team because I could never do that if it took me five years to try and learn what you know, right? Completely agree with you. Um, we've spoken a little bit about this throughout the course of the conversation so far, but I want to kind of, I suppose, get like a general idea, some general advice. What can you teach us about having the right mindset for business success? Oh, good question. Okay. So somebody asked me recently, they said, what percentage of success do I think is mindset and what percentage is, you know, is the other thing. And I, and the, the graphic I have on the, you know, the, the flip, the whiteboard behind me, you know, strategy, talent, cash, those are the three things that you, you're going to need to understand and constantly pay attention to. But the thing that surrounds all of those is mindset. You can have the right strategy and, you know, you're going to, you might even get the right talent for a period of time. But if your, your mindset is going to be the thing that gets you through the adversities, it's the thing that's going to get you through when everything goes wrong. Like, you know, I'll give you a good example, right? So seven years ago, I'm out running, uh, I'm out running a retreat in Spain with my wife for 25 uh, entrepreneurs, right? We do it once a year now, but we're running it for one of the first times. Really great, really successful event. We, we flew back to the UK. Within 48 hours, she got sick. Um, thought it was just food poisoning. Um, turned out it wasn't. Turned out um, she had a liver infection or what they thought was a liver infection. Um, took her into hospital. I turn up the next morning uh, to go and see how she is. And the doctor pulls me into a, a, into a private room. And you know it's never going to be good, right? If, if that's how it starts. And he says, right, listen, um, your wife had a brain hemorrhage last night. She's in a coma. Uh, she may or may not come out. We don't know yet. Um, but you need to be aware that you need to start getting things in order because we don't know whether she'll ever you know, leave hospital, whether she'll ever work again, you know, whether she'll ever recover. Um, we, don't, we just don't know. And like, that's the stuff you don't see coming. That's the stuff you can't plan for, right? You can have all the best business plans in the world, but life's going to knock you on your ass. And your ability to be resilient enough to get up and go, you know, there were some really dark days during that. I'm not going to lie. Some horrifically dark days, right? But I used to just go, look, my job is to get up tomorrow and just get through tomorrow. I don't know if I can win this. I don't know if I can, if I can make it out six months from now. I can't think about that. I can't think about what happens if my wife spends the rest of her life in a care home. Thank goodness she doesn't. And, you know, we're, we're, she lives at home with us and she's great and, you know, all of that. But at the time, all I could do was go, my mindset has to be two things. Number one, control the controllables. This is the most important mindset lesson I, I've learned in my life. So you have to focus on the things that only you can control. Because the stuff that will mess you up, the stuff that will stress you out is all the stuff that you worry about that you have absolutely no influence on at all that you can't do anything about. So I'm like, right, I made a list. What's all the stuff I can control? And the most important thing was nutrition. Because I was like, with my wife in hospital, I'm going to just eat takeaways and crap if I'm not really careful. And that's going to mess my body up and that's going to lose my confidence and that's going to mess my energy up. So right, nutrition became the single most important thing I could do for myself right at that particular time, right? Number one. Number two, I need to share this with my team and I need to tell them what's going on because it's going to impact. It's going to change our, our business for the next year, at least. It's going to change everything, right? So we've got to deal with that. And then we have to go. And then I did, <laughs> this will make you laugh, right? I did a SWOT analysis on my life. I went, right. <laughs> <laughs> true story true story right i got a big whiteboard and i went 
SWOT wow. analysis on my life, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats for my life, right? So like, what are the threats? Nutrition, bad food, eating junk food, all the rest of it. Well, what are the opportunities, right? Okay, I could learn about nutrition, get coaching help, hire somebody. What are the strengths? Well, I've got a great team. I've got this guy. What are the weaknesses? I, I don't know how to work the dishwasher. I don't have a clue about <laughs> like, like, I did, like weaknesses. I didn't know the bank account passwords because my wife had them all and I couldn't get them from her because she was in a coma. So that's a weakness. And if we don't sort it, it'll be a threat because I run out of money and I can't, the bank Bank won't talk to me because GDPR compliance. So suddenly I just did this SWOT analysis on my life and it helped me go, okay, I've got to mitigate all the, all the threats. I've got to deal with that first, the stuff I can control. I've got to write, talk to Jonathan school, deal with this, all the stuff that I saw as a threat. Okay, great. Then I'm going to work on the weaknesses and I'm going to then figure out like how we get through this. And there were some days when literally just making it through a day, I would collapse exhausted in bed at night and go, I don't know if I can do this tomorrow. And I would just, I would hear this little voice in my brain that would just go, listen, you just got to make it through one day at a time. You just got to make it through one day. No matter how bad this is, you just got to get up tomorrow and you got to do the basics, right? Get up in the morning, get feed, you know, feed Jonathan, walk the dog, get, go to work, do the, do, you know, work for client work, do the work you do with clients, then go walk the dog, then pick Jonathan up from school, go to the hospital. You just have to make it a routine and you just got to keep showing up. And it's like, the biggest thing for me was that was where I just started saying to myself, Paul, you just got to keep showing up, whether you feel like it, whether you don't, whether you're in the mood for it, whether you're not, you know, and like your job is to just keep showing up because this will pass at some point, this will pass. However bad it is at some, it might take three months. It might take a year. It will eventually pass whatever pass looks like. And I'll need to deal with that when I get to that. But at some point we're going to find out what the next stage of this is. But for right now, I need to focus on the things I can control, looking after my nutrition, looking after, you know, Jonathan, making sure he's all right. He, the school knows they can give him counseling, making sure, you know, that I keep the business trading because what was really hard was lots of customers all went, oh, well, let's stop coaching with you to give you space to look after your wife. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that because literally, you know, then I'll run out of money and that creates even more stress. So it's like, look, I, I, and what am I going to do? Sit at home and sulk? It's like, no, I've got to do something, right? I, I have to show up. I, I need to still do my job, right? That's, that, that's, that's being a professional. And I just think that from a mindset point of view, life and business is going to beat you up. It's going to do that, right? It, it, because it's, it's trying to find out how badly you want it. It's trying to find out whether you're serious or whether you're really seriously committed to what you say you want or whether you're just mildly interested as long as it's not too uncomfortable. And there are, you know, you are going to be times when you're going to be up and there are going to be times when you're going to be absolutely down on your ass. I've had company, I've, I've had a business fail. You know, I've had my wife go into comas. I've had life-threatening illness myself. Like you will face adversity. Do not think you're not going to face it because you are. The question is going to be, are you going to keep getting up and do another day and just do another day and do another day and do another day and do another day. And then one day you go, holy crap, we're getting my wife out of hospital six months before they said she would be home. Okay, right. Now, what are we going to do at that point? And then you just get up another day. And it's like, you know, any kind of life, positive or negative, is built on the compound effect. And the compound effect is, you know, building one good day on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And some days they're only good by that much, a little bit, tiny bit. And some days you slide backwards. It happens to us all. Me, like everyone else, have bad days. But we have a rule in my company you're allowed to be down for 24 hours, but that's it, right? Then you got to wipe the slate clean, get up and start again tomorrow. Because like nobody cares after that. It's like, yeah, great. Okay, you had a bad day. We all get, we're going to have a bad day. That's life. Tomorrow you got to get up and go come from a place of gratitude, massively 
you know, be grateful for all the things. The, the thing that got me through my wife being in a coma was every day I would get up and, and I would write down five things I was grateful for every morning because it was too easy to focus on all the stuff that was not right. But if I could, you know what, do you know what? I'm, I'm alive. Thank goodness I'm here so I can take care of Jonathan. You know, the family we have around us, how amazing the NHS is for looking after, you know, because if I was in another country, this would be costing me hundreds of thousands of pounds and I'd probably be bankrupt. Like, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that I get to walk outside in the fresh air. I'm grateful, you know, I did just, I would find things that I was grateful for in the midst of all of that adversity because it just enabled me to go, I, I'm massively grateful for what I have, and now I can go and just try and support her while she deals with what, what she's trying to deal with, which, you know, is, is something that you can't understand until you've been put through it. This is why I do this podcast. Conversations like this, lessons like this. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, God. So many things. <laughs> so I honestly think the older I get, the best advice is just be who you are and stop worrying about what everyone else thinks because they're going to think about it. They're really worried about what you think about them anyway, but true. Like, <laughs> like, they, re they really are. They really yeah. are. And like, what makes you think your ego is so important that everyone's worried about you anyway? Like, Bingo. But, but just, I think it's just, you know what, the best advice I think I, I, I would give myself, frankly, is a don't take it so seriously because it really isn't. Um, and just, 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 just relax into it a bit more, right? Like don't be in such a hurry to get everywhere. Just like, just go look, be yourself, be who you are. It's like the minute I start, stop trying to be the guy in the blue suit with the white shirt and I'm wearing a white shirt today, obviously, but like normally <laughs> white shirt, red tie and all that stuff, right? Tried to be the consultant. Right? And I was just like, look, I'm me, right? I genuinely, you know, I like when I'm on stage or doing trainings, I wear bright purple jackets and I'm, you know, that's me. It's like, if that doesn't resonate with you, then we shouldn't work together anyway. And I'm not the right person for you. And that's cool. There's somebody out there who is, and it's not me. And I'm not offended by that. That's totally all right. You know, there are certain people I attract and there are certain people who go, I could never work with him. He's too full on. He's too, he's too much. He's too much. He's just too bright. He's all about, and I'm like, then that's great. Cause that's good. Then you know what you don't want. And that's, right. and then it's going to help you find what you do. And I just think it's that being starting to be comfortable in your own skin and stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. Cause like there is only one of you for a reason. Brilliant. Cause you've got something unique to contribute. You've got something unique to give the world you're here to make a difference and an impact. And you can't do that if you're trying to fit in. Brilliant. Yeah, I totally agree with that. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'll explain it if you want me to, right? So the li biggest life lesson that I've, I've got is it is easier to take the time to do maintenance than it is to do repair. Okay. So if you don't I'll give you an example, right? If you don't look after your health, i.e. you maintain your health, eat sensibly, you know, take vitamins, at some point you're gonna get seriously sick and then you're gonna have to embark on a massive repair journey and a massive repair project. It is a lot easier to do maintenance than it is to do repair. Like, you know. If you've got a lawnmower, it's a lot easier to just get it maintained every year so that it works rather than waiting for it to break down and then have to go and get a bill. Same with the car. It's a lot easier to look after it 
than wait until it gets into a bad state and then have to pay for massive repairs. Just in any area of my life, that's the thing I've learned. It is, it is easier and more cost efficient in the long run to pay the small price now rather than wait to pay the big price later. Eloquently put. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, as we draw things to a close for today, do you have any upcoming projects or some final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, listen, you know, if, if you've enjoyed, if you've enjoyed the things I've shared and you're running a business or growing a business, then, you know, follow me on social media. I'm pretty easy to find, um, post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, which is obviously where we got to connect. Um, and you know, if you go to scaleupmasterclass.co.uk, there's uh, 75 minutes of free business training. You can access, you know, my gift to you. Feel free to go grab that. Um, or yeah, but I mean, I think, I think if I was going to finish on one thing, it would be, I say this a lot, but it's, the idea is easy. The execution is hard, right? That's the hard bit. That's the separator. It's lots of people have ideas and I, I'll guarantee you, if you're listening to this podcast, you can relate to this. At some point you're walking down the street somewhere and you'll go, Oh, blimey, I had that idea. And cause you've seen someone else do it. And it's like, yeah, you know what? The idea wasn't the gift. The idea was the gift, but the execution was where you turn it into something of value. And it's like, you know, there's a phrase I use, which is you get paid on what you get done. Because nobody cares about what you talk about. Nobody cares about what you're going to do. They care about what you actually went out and did. Mm. So it's like, you know, be a man, be somebody in the world that, that if you make a decision and you have an idea, go execute on it. Just, just take action. Just start. Just get going. Because most people have great ideas but never do anything with it. And, it, and, and five years later, they look back and go, oh, I really should have, could have, would have. You know, and it's like, look, you get paid on what you get done. So get good at doing more stuff. Some of it's going to work. Some of it isn't. That's just the process. Don't expect it to work because it won't. But just go out and do more stuff and you'll be amazed five years from now how much further forward you are and, and how much you've learned and how much you've realized you were capable of doing it you didn't think you could. Brilliant. Uh, just a massive thank you for, uh, for sharing all of your, your knowledge and your experiences and um, just, just for being an all-round brilliant guest. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate that, man. It's been, I can't believe we've been going for as long as we have. That's crazy. Man. <laughs> it flies by. You know, I mean, look, I do this podcast because I like to obviously create content, create good conversations. And I think throughout the course of doing it, I've, I've begun to learn that this isn't just something I'm trying to do, something I'm trying to um, pursue amongst other things. I am trying to create stuff that will inspire ins and motivate and and, it, and i get something from it too every time i have one of these conversations doesn't matter who it's with i always have something that i take away from it something i learn and that i use into my life in, in my everyday life and um i feel very grateful for that i resonate with a lot of things that you said like for instance what you were saying about appreciating thing things mm -hmm. and um something I've spoken about a lot in my recent live streams is this idea of kind of changing my perspective a lot. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's very easy to complain about the things that we don't have, the gaps in our life. But when we really sit down and think about what it is we have, both the little things and the big things, and we compare our lives with how it used to be two years, five years, 10 years from, you know, yeah. ago, we, we begin to realize just how lucky we really, really are. 
And I always try to do that, especially in those moments where I feel lowest and I, I get a bit like down or a bit feeling sorry for myself. I try to remember what I have. And suddenly <laughs> I feel a combination of two things. I feel very grateful and thankful and also kind of a bit ashamed that I ever felt that way in the first place. But it's a normal yeah. feeling to have it's it's just it's human we it's natural to want more you know it's but at the same time it's, but it's also not natural to be up all the time it's right like like you would be you would be on some kind of stimulant uh let's say if you are like up all the time because people say that to me people go oh you must you must be like my, like my nightmare to live with you're always i go listen i have bad days too i have days where i'm down or i feel just like everything's going to crap and i wish you and you know of course because it's called the human experience right and like it's unrealistic to think you're going to be up all the time. The question isn't whether you're up or down. The question is, do you have the strategies or the tools to get back up if you're down, right? So that it's only, you know, used to, I'll be honest, I used to get down for like a week at a time. I, really years ago, when in my 20s, I used, to, I used to be down for a week at a time. And now it's like, it's, it's, it's a couple of hours at the worst on a really bad day, or it's go to bed and wake up and I'm done with it. It's like, but it's, you know, it's just learning to reduce the impact of those emotions on you and how long, how long it takes you to go. Yeah. Right. I, I get that, but I've got strategies. I can shift it. I can, I know, I know where to focus. I know where to put my energy. I know who to talk to, you know, it's just, it's that's, that's part of the human experience. I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And um, it's funny you mentioned being in your twenties. I'm 28 now about to turn 29 and I feel exactly like that. Um, but in the last let's say four or five years, I have begun to realize how to be when things get a bit more difficult. And it's funny, a lot of these things resonate, especially the whole just going to bed, waking up the next day, like it's a new day, take it step by step. Like that really does help. It really does. And you do, you do feel better the next day. You might not feel like hundred bucks the next day, but you'll, you'll feel different. You'll feel differently. And if you don't, take action to try and feel different you know do something different whether that's going out trying something you haven't tried before you know whatever that may be there's always something you can do to change how you feel and ultimately how you feel that mindset that you're in a big key theme that you know we've discussed throughout this podcast is mindset that mindset that you have throughout the day in the weeks and the months and the years that's what gets you through it's not about having this amazing strength that comes from nowhere like yeah you have to build in a strength and belief and confidence but a big part of it is mindset and just keeping on going just keep going keep trying keep persevering and you know things will get better that's it but don't you think that's don't you think that's like going to the gym right you wouldn't go to a gym and go Oh, I want to be fit overnight. Uh, you know, you're going to have to keep showing up. You're going to have to work out. And the mindset's no different, right? Like it's, it's, it's about going, um, okay, great. I'm going to, I'm going to read 20 minutes every day, something positive to keep my mind. In. I'm going to listen to an amazing podcast like this, you know, on my way to work to get, to, to, to give me some input. This point you have to, Napoleon Hill says it in the book, think and grow rich. He said, he said, negativity is all around you all the time. So you have to consciously, and the words in the in Think of Grow Rich that you have to consciously and consistently put positivity into your life. You have to do that. It's not going to happen by accident. You're not right. So like 
this, this, the, the mindset is an intention and a discipline to go, I'm going to consistently put positive stuff into my mind to compensate for the fact that I live in an incredibly toxic environment. The world is 90% negative all the time. You know, most people are not positive. If you meet them, just ask them how they're doing and they'll go, oh, not bad, right? Like, like you know, it's like, and the news is negative. We're surrounded by negativity, right? So if we're not, you know, I've worked four years on my mindset and still do reading books, getting coaching, you know, get listening to podcasts on the way to and from a, a meeting. It's like, it's a constant working effort to stay in a state of being the majority positive of, of my life. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not random. It's work. And like, if you want to feel better, then you've got to put the work in. You got to, you got to commit to working on that emotion in the same way that you would commit to going to a gym to get your body to, to feel better, to feel healthier, to get fitter. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's that commitment to consistently do it. Right. Cause like that, that's the difference between where you are and where you want to be is the discipline and the consistency that you can bring to, to getting yourself into that space, whether it's meditating every day for 20 minutes, whatever it is for you, but do it consistently because nothing shows up without consistency, nothing. Fantastic. Couldn't have put it better myself. Thank you very much for this conversation, for all your expertise and knowledge. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for holding the space to have, for us to have it, man. Always. You're always welcome back on the show. Absolute pleasure. And uh, to the listeners of the Christian Reeve podcast, as always, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.